Everyone has their own unique views and needs when it comes to financial success. If you'd like to leave your financial woes behind and live a life of financial freedom, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Saving with Steve show, hosted by Steve Sexton. The show will help you with the ins and outs of money. We talk about financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars and keeping you up at night. We talk about money, tax reduction, saving more, spending less, 401ks, risk management, retirement, and everything under the sun that relates to you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. Now, here is your host of Saving with Steve, Steve Sexton. Hello, welcome to the Saving with Steve show where we talk about the ins and outs of money, pretty much everything under the sun that relates to you having a happier, healthier relationship with money. My name is Steve Sexton. I wanna thank you for joining us again. Hey, thank you for sharing with your friends, your family and your associates. We just increased our listeners all the way up to 675,000 listeners. Very thankful, very humble for all that. We have a great show for you today. So the question is, how are you going to survive and thrive in this post-pandemic economy? We have Tony Zork, author of Econoclasm, a survival's guide to the post-pandemic economy to help you thrive. I'm going to be talking about financial literacy for kids. It's never too early for them to learn. And if your job is impacted by the second wave of budget cuts... You really want to learn from the people who came before you to get a jump start on moving from being depressed because you got fired and downsides to empowered and a top candidate. We have Todd Palmer, CEO of Diversified Industrial Staffing with us. Now, before I introduce Todd, I want to tell you a little bit more about him so you understand how important his wisdom he's going to impart to us. Besides being the CEO of Diversified Industrial Staffing, Todd is a highly sought after speaker, executive coach. He's the author of the best-selling new book, From Suck to Success, A Guide to Extraordinary Entrepreneurship. He took a company from $600,000 in debt to being named one of 5,000 as a CEO of one of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. Now, he didn't do it just once, not twice, not three times, but six times, which is quite frankly incredible. The other thing is he also has this cool book on Amazon. It's five star rated. It's called Find a Job in Six Weeks or Less. Is that cool or what? Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, Steve, thank you so much. I should take you wherever I go. I I need you to just walk around and introduce me like that all the time, all day long. (laughs) I'll just jump on stage for 30 seconds and give the bio and you're out. (laughs) Heck, just just walk into my living room. I I need to be as cool as you just made me sound. I love that. Thank you so much. That was a great intro. My wife would probably smack me in the head with a pan if I did something like that. (laughs) Hey, look, I think it's really important to understand where people come from. And if you really think about where you were, when you're $600,000 in debt to building an extraordinary company, it's kind of a hero's journey. And I think people need to understand that they can have their own hero's journey. Could you just kind of tell us where all that came about before we get into the five tips? Yeah. Well, it's an important point you make. It, it is a hero's journey as an entrepreneur. It's a satisfying journey, but it's not always a happy journey. And I'm living proof of that. I started my company, 27 years old, Started for literally next to nothing, $15,000, which I thought was about a million dollars at the time. And 10 years in, I was really struggling and I wasn't telling anybody. My imposter syndrome, my itty bitty negative committee in my head was meeting on a pretty frequent basis, telling me what a terrible CEO I was. I needed to be all things to all people all the time about all things. And it was causing me to shut down. And my imposter syndrome became very flared and, and I wasn't even going into my own business. And I owned a recruiting company in Metro Detroit. And we, our specific bandwidth of service was to the manufacturing, specifically automotive. Didn't know that in 2006, it was right before the massive recession, some would call a depression was about to hit. 
and our, our business was really struggling. On a $2 million run rate, I was $600,000 in debt. For those of you who have a finance background, yes, clearly I was upside down. The only person who did not know that was me um, because it, my imposter syndrome was so powerful that it was telling me like, you'll figure it out. You'll get to it. You'll figure these numbers out. You'll get to it. Well, September 9th of 2006, the bank called the note. They were going to shut the business down. They were going to take my house. And I finally, at that point, realized I, I don't need to be the Oracle. I needed to get help. And that's when I hired my coach. I brought him in. We took a look at the team. We took a look at the toxicity in the organization. We took a look at me specifically as a leader. And he said, in order to change your business, we have to work on changing you. That's where Inside Out Leadership became part of what I did. Shortly thereafter, I changed out my team and I started hiring people differently. I started hiring for DNA, not for resume and the way I did things. Uh, I talk a lot about that in my first book, The Job Search Process, the, the steps to getting a job in 30 days or less, and how you can become that excellent employer where people want to hire you. And oh, by the way, even if you don't have experience in that industry, there's ways to pivot yourself into being that ideal candidate they can choose from. By 2013, I was finally out of debt. We were able to pivot massively, do lots of small things. We use the active learning cycle to, to do our decision-making processes. We made the Inc. 5000, which was one of America's fastest growing companies. As you said, not one, not two, not three, but six times. I was pleased with what the accomplishments of the team were, but internally, I still had a lot of emptiness. So then I hired my second coach. His name is Dr. Danny Friedland. He's out of San Diego, California. He wrote a great book called Living Well from Within. It teaches leaders how to, to create the life they want inside out, not within their business, not externally, not with money, not with toys and all that fun stuff, but becoming a better leader. And so now that's what I do through Extraordinary Advisors and through my new book, From Suck to Success. I work with leaders to help them get unstuck around what matters most, which is typically designing a company that will serve them best to create the, the life by design that they want. It's interesting you talk about that where I've got $2 million in revenue and I'm losing $600,000. It's so funny. People do that in their everyday household. They do that. Small business owners, they don't know how to manage their money properly or they combine their personal expenses with their business expenses and all that kind of stuff. And you're probably smirking there because you're like, oh, I did that. <laughs> Someday it's still new, you know, we're not perfect. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just saying it's just interesting because a lot of people are in that same boat. And the reality is early on in business, I was in that same boat. So I totally identify with that. And I think it's very, very interesting. One quick question is when you replaced your team and you talk about hiring for DNA, tell me a little bit about that. My coach at the time said, you know, you're on a recruiting company. Why don't we hire you versus hiring another firm? And we started really doing a deep dive on the core values of the organization. And then the niche we wanted to really serve, which ultimately ended up being skilled trades talent around the United States. Our sweet spot was high-end welders. You worked in oil derricks in Houston. Uh, we did a lot of aerospace manufacturing on the West Coast, a lot of Metro Detroit manufacturing, skilled trades professionals here in, in the Midwest. But in order for me to get people to come work for us, we had to have, give them a reason and a purpose and core values, which I had never done. And we set on a, a couple of core values that really landed with us the most started hiring our internal people based upon those core values at the time of me as the entrepreneur. Five years later, we did another, we did a refresh of those core values, brought in our key leaders, and we created core values for the organization, such as focusing on margin over revenue. Clearly, I was crushing it on the margin. I was doing $2 million in revenue. I wasn't making anything. How do we pivot those numbers? How do we then deal with people and recognize that one of my big core values, and it's basically the crux of what I do for a living now, is my job is to improve lives. I worked with Simon Sinek. It took me two years to figure out those two words, very expensive lesson. And I figured out if we focus as a recruiting firm on improving lives, not about making money. Now, mind you, 
I'm pivoting all this stuff around when I'm 600K in debt. So money was key to my life mm-hmm. and to the bank who I went and renegotiated the line with. But we figured if we can figure out what does the candidate really need in order to make a job change, because changing jobs is one of the top five pressures and stressors for any adult. And what does that company need? And essentially, we became like a matchmaking service. I got a lonely client. I got a lonely candidate. If we bring the two of them together, we get paid. The inverse of the pyramid versus us at the top, it changed everything. So in the interview, we would tell people, give us some stories about matchmaking stories you've done in your personal life. Tell me some stories about when you were dating people and how you, all these weird questions, like you place welders and machinists. Why are you asking me this stuff? Oh, it ties into our core values that we improve lives and however we do it. So when we improve lives, we don't want candidates to go work for less money. We don't want clients taking an inferior candidate. So that causes us to raise our game on the quality of the people we serve. Mm-hmm. It's so true. A lot of employers just actually hire because the resume is a good fit because they don't know how to hire properly. It's very true. I think that's a great lesson for anybody because there's probably people driving around their car right now. They've been at a job for a year and realize it's the wrong place. And if they were looking at saying, hey, what's the right match for me? They might say, sorry, this isn't a good fit and move off somewhere else or have that company come back and say, you know what? I like that person because they're willing to tell me they're not a good fit. Maybe we can find another place for them. That's on the leader to create that psychologically safe environment. And they do that by doing what I call ATV, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. If the leader could put him or herself out there in front of the teams to create a space where they can hear feedback from the masses, hear feedback from key leaders, hear feedback from customers. I got some clients who even hear feedback from Wall Street. And they they take that feedback in and they make the changes necessary to satisfy not only the shareholders, but just as, and sometimes often more importantly, the stakeholders who deliver our goods and services, who deliver what we provide to our customers, it's always people. If we take care of the people we serve as a customer, we take care of the people we serve as our employees, our job as leaders are actually, believe it or not, pretty easy. It's, but we get all wrapped up in you know, our own internal fears and self-doubts. We're not sure, you know, I want to be liked, but I don't want to be too liked. I don't want the inmates to run the asylum process. There's a lot of different ways nowadays where we can really you know, hear from our staff, figure out that if we create that psychologically safe work environment, we work with millennials, not against millennials like a lot of people do, and, and we allow them to have a voice in the room. We, we allow them to be seen, heard, and work them from being seen and heard, being seen, heard, known, and accepted. We can have an employee for life and not even realize it if we just change the way as leaders we behave. That's wonderful. We're going to take a quick little break. Tell everybody about our lovely sponsor, ScoreMaster, first. The average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score. Quite frankly, had no idea how to get there. The data scientists at ScoreMaster have cracked the code on how. Adding 97 points to your credit score is like found money. It means fast loan approval, huge discounts, low interest rates on everything from buying or refinancing a home to leasing a new car to applying for a credit card. How fast is ScoreMaster? One person raised their credit score by 33 points in just five days. Another 43 points in a couple of weeks. ScoreMaster is so easy. It takes about a minute to get started. And if you're in a hurry, you get to try ScoreMaster for free. That's right, ScoreMaster for free. See how many public points you can add to your credit score. Go to ScoreMaster slash savings at scoremaster.com slash savings. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash savings. We're going to be back with more Todd Palmer, so stick with us. More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on the Saving with Steve show. 
Don't let your financial woes keep you up at night and prevent you from living a life of financial and personal freedom. Hi, I'm Steve Sexton, host of the Saving with Steve show. We're going to be talking about the ins and outs of money, those financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars, causing stress, keeping you up at night. We're going to talk about money, tax reductions, saving more, spending less, your investments, risk management, retirement, and everything associated with you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. So if you've ever dreamed of living a life of financial and personal freedom, you owe it to yourself and your family to tune into The Saving with Steve Show. Join me, Steve Sexton, on The Saving with Steve Show as we talk about everything under the sun when it comes to money. To learn more about the show, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us, savingwithsteve.us. We'll see you soon. Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving with Steve show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton. This is Steve Sexton. I want to thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you letting your friends and family and associates know about the show. All the replays are available at savingwithsteve.us. If you're enjoying the stories of helpful information inside on Saving with Steve, then I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you never miss a show. And check out a few of our affiliates at UK Health Radio. BBS Radio, Talk Radio New York City, E360 TV, Las Vegas TV Network, and all these networks are dedicated to empowering you to solve problems, uplift your spirit, and live a life of financial and personal freedom. Hey, you can also follow us at Facebook and join the Saving with Steve Sexton Insider Club or savingwithstevesexton.us to get all the replays, exclusive access to our after show videos, guest gifts, and more. Now we're back here with Todd Palmer. We've been talking about his book, Sucks to Success. He's been giving us some great pieces of wisdom, but now I'd like to get into, you know what? You just got fired. So <laughs> to say that bluntly, it's just kind of what happens. You know what? Uh, in fact, on the news last night, we heard about retail companies, they're downsizing because their margins are getting squeezed and they've got shortages. All sorts of things are occurring that are causing companies to downsize. If you get downsized or fired, what are the five things that you know people should be doing if that happens? Great question. So if someone's currently displaced. This place is far better than fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was working on the book, they asked me a question like, how many people did you help get jobs? I figured about 6,000. How many people did you fire? Oh, about 600. Some of them got displaced and some of them earned the firing. So it's one of those weird things for a recruiter we have to process. As you take a look at the situation, look at the data first. There are more jobs in the United States than there are people, believe it or not. So just to kind of peel back another layer, pre-COVID, there were 6 million more jobs than there were people in the United States for those jobs. Oh, wow. Post-COVID, post the last data points I read were earlier this year, and the data points were very clear. In the United States, we had a unemployment rate of about 6%. Goldman Sachs predicts by December, we're going to be at 3.2%. Oh. Unemployment, full employment is 4%. So there's going to be, again, by the end of the year, there'll be more jobs than there are people. So if you're displaced, hang tight. Second part is, if you're displaced and you're actually looking for a job, you're actually in a great position because we're at a 53-year low of a labor participation rate in here in the United States. It's been 53 <laughs> years. Yep. And especially if you're not a millennial, well, even if you are a millennial, millennial unemployment rate as of February of 2021 was 11.2%. Oh, wow. So they're not going to work. They're doing freelancing and all these other different things, but they're not going to traditional work. So if you're a millennial and you actually want to go get a a job at a traditional employer, you're going to be a unicorn because your peers typically aren't going to apply there. Secondarily, if you're not a millennial, there's plenty of jobs. Now you have to figure out if you've been displaced, say, for example, from retail or restaurants. That happened a lot during COVID as things pivoted and changed. Mm -hmm. 
So one, recognize the data point. Second point, recognize what your transferable skills are. If you're great with people, if you provide excellent customer service in a restaurant or retail environment, where else can you do that? Well, you can do it on Zoom. You can do it online. You can go to Yelp. You can go to Google. There's a lot of different places you can go work at. Third thing I would tell you to look at is 80% of jobs, we know this as recruiters, 80% of jobs are never listed anywhere. So certainly apply to the job to see online, do the one-click button through ZipRecruiter or Indeed, apply to 400 jobs, sitting in the traffic, but then look at companies you actually want to work for. So just because they're not advertising doesn't mean they're not looking. Because remember, there are more jobs than there are people. Next thing you want to look at is don't necessarily just live with applying to human resources. Human resources is great. We need them. But there's also what they call a hiring manager. That's the person you'll ultimately end up working for. Go on to LinkedIn. Figure out if you want to work at ABC Company, who's in charge of the department you want to work at. Contact them directly because they ultimately have a lot of power who works for them. So if you contact them directly, what you're doing is you're going around the system and you become candidate one of one. If I want to work for you, Stephen, I send you a LinkedIn message. My resume is on there and you're desperately in need of people and HR is backed up and handling other fires and other issues. Chances are you're going to give me an audience because you're desperate. And if I do well in the interview, I'm candidate one of one, not one of a hundred. I've made your job easy. Boom, you've hired me. That's wonderful. Now, then the last thing I'll, I'll tell people too is there's always room to negotiate. My son, wonderful human being that he is, is a CPA. He was looking for another opportunity. He applied for a job. He got to the interview process. They made him an offer that he felt was below his worth in the marketplace because he's a 30-year-old CPA. He is a human unicorn. And he's like, well, wait a minute. This is what I'm looking at. So we crafted a conversation for him to go back to the HR person who made him the offer, led it a very clear argument of why he was worth sizably about more. He was fully transparent. He goes, by the way, here's my pay stub. Here's currently what I'm earning. I'm not coming for anything less than this. I said, okay, we can change because people still have this like this garage sale a uh, flea market mentality, like, well, hey, this is a great human being. Maybe I can get them in a bargain. There's room to negotiate. Those would be my tips for anybody looking for a job. I think that's great. Now, one of the points you make is moving past self-hatred and shame when you have no one else to blame. I love that phrase. Well, when you're $600,000 in debt on a company that you run, uh, there really is nobody else <laughs> to blame. Nobody fault but your own. <laughs> yeah, because I was really good at that point in my life of blaming everybody else. You know, I'm in Detroit. I'm blaming the economy. I'm blaming the government. I'm blaming my clients and blaming my employees. Well, the reality was I wasn't allowing myself to move forward until I owned my, and it's called my part in this is. My part in this is I made bad deals with clients. My part in this is I picked the wrong vendors. My part in this is I should have fired Bob in sales because he wasn't selling, but I didn't want to hurt his feelings. But that's my part in this is. So we all have a part in that. And then once we put it into what I call the, the E4 active learning cycle, and every one of the chapters of my book ends with an active learning cycle exercise. So the first part of the cycle is to identify what's not working. Let's go back to my debt situation. Being $600,000 in debt on a personal guarantee was not working for me. That's the first thing. So then I create an intention, but not an expectation of what I want to see happen. When we create an expectation, it's a win or lose thing psychologically. Literally, we operate in the lowest functioning part of our brain. By creating an intention, we see more opportunities. We try things, and if it doesn't work, we're able to, to pivot out of it much more quickly. So then we created a strategy around the intention of what's not working. And last, we take massive action around that. Again, it's psychology. It's the active learning cycle. When we get into those positions, we can then own our part in that. We can take control of the situation, kind of going back to the imposter syndrome stuff. I have a client I was just talking to him today, and he's like, my imposter syndrome is so bad. I'm listening to it so much. I said, here's the deal. Just like with the active learning cycle, it's an iterative process. It continually moves, it continually pivots, it continually shifts and evolves. We can use it to serve as well because it's an ongoing loop. Same with imposter syndrome. If you have imposter syndrome, you're always going to have it. It's a reality. I still have it. I've been dealing with it since 2006. I still have it. Here's what happened. Imposter syndrome used to drive the car of my life. It now sits in the passenger seat. 
still talks to me. It still tries to give me advice. But now, because I'm aware of it, because I've done the work around it, I may be able to interact with it differently. Still comes up. And sometimes it's actually right. You know, imposter syndrome at the end of the day, some of these things at the end of the day are designed to protect us from dinosaurs or putting our fingers in light sockets. So sometimes it does provide us value. If my imposter syndrome says to me, look both ways before crossing the street, probably a good idea. But if it tells me other things about how I'm not good enough or how I'm not enough or I've made wrong choices or wrong decisions in my life, I push that aside, use the active learning cycle to get unstuck. That's wonderful. Okay. Let's talk about this. Solving problems by practicing creative, non-reactive thinking. Like you said before, even if you don't have experience in that industry, I think this is key for people to understand because they can end up with their dream job, even though they're not part of it. Oh, totally. The first step in anything like that. I used to tell this with candidates, I would coach these people who were actually competent in the job, but they were so afraid of talking in an interview. I said, here's the deal. Just know you're going to get triggered and you're going to be reactive. It's going to happen. Like, oh, so it's normal? Yeah, you're part of the human race. It's normal. It's going to happen. So first part is to internally validate you're probably going to get triggered. And when you get triggered, slow down. Because if you start talking faster, you start getting reactive, the other party is going to pick up on that. The other part of it is to recognize, huh, I wonder why I'm triggered. So I want to have awareness around my reactivity. And it's a very much a, it's a self-talking model. And again, I got this from my coach, Dr. Danny Friedland. He has a great book, Living Well From Within. And he talks about extensively all these pieces and how to, to work through them. You know, He's a neurosurgeon. He understands how our brains work. And so we're recognizing, and that's practicing self-compassion. Hmm. Steve said something. I got triggered and heightened by it. What does that mean to me? Hmm. Takes me back to the last time I went on an interview, I didn't get the job because I said something what I considered would be stupid. Huh. Well, I'm just not going to say that. So I'm going to answer Steve this way. Now, I'm talking through this very slowly for the demo, but this happens rapidly within our brain. Hey, I'm triggered. What's happening? He asked me a question I'm uncomfortable about. Huh. Well, I want to give him a, the, the most honest answer versus a, a dishonest answer. How can I answer it in a way that puts me in the best light without being dishonest? Okay, here's how it sounds. But a lot of it, especially for interviews, it does come down to prep and a little bit of practice. And also, what rapport did you create with that person in the beginning? Did you check them out on LinkedIn? Do you know anything about them? Did you see them on Facebook? Where did you know? So that when you walk in, you have something other than the job to talk about. Because the little tip is people make decisions based upon emotion and justify it with the logic on your resume. We'll often hire people they like and have no idea why. And they will go to a superior and say, you know, I thought Steve was a great guy. You know, there was just something about him. I totally completely understand that because many of the relationships I've developed with people over the years has really been about developing that relationship with them prior to even conducting anything, especially if I talk about something that's important to them or them and let them talk. It's important for people to realize that because once they create that relationship, then they're just having a conversation. Yeah. And if you get panicked, there's a really great phrase for exactly what you're talking about. It's more important to be interested than be interesting. Be interested in the other party. Let them talk because people love talking about themselves. Todd, I want to thank you for being here. Now, we have people that would love to get a hold of you. How can they go about getting a hold of you, Todd? I mean, are you accepting coaching clients or? So yes, I'm currently accepting coaching clients. Since the book came out, being so busy has been awesome. What I love to say to people is this. If you want to get a hold of me, if you're curious about working with me, go to fromsucktosuccess.com and download a free chapter of the book. Please mention in the comments that you heard me on Steve's show so I can give him proper credit back. And if you're all about Todd, or you're all in on, the, on everything we're talking about, go to my main website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. Drop me an email. I answer my own email. I don't have an assistant. And I will be happy to schedule 30 minutes to talk with you about whatever's got you stuck, how I can be of service and of help to you potentially as a coach. But again, if you're just curious, go get the free chapter of the book and share it with everybody because I, you know, my job in life is to improve lives. So the more people I can imp impact, the better off. Hey, Todd, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. 
stay safe and stay healthy. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for showing Thanks so us. so much, Steve. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, everybody, that was Todd Palmer. We want to thank him for being part of the show. It was just wonderful. And again, I want to thank scoremaster.com for helping people raise their credit score. Hey, stick with us. We're going to be right back in just a couple moments. More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on the Saving with Steve show. Don't let your financial woes keep you up at night and prevent you from living a life of financial and personal freedom. Hi, I'm Steve Sexton, host of the Saving with Steve show. We're gonna be talking about the ins and outs of money, those financial issues that could be costing you thousands of dollars, causing stress, keeping you up at night. We're gonna talk about money, tax reductions, saving more, spending less, your investments, risk management, retirement, and everything associated with you having a healthier, happy relationship with money. So if you've ever dreamed of living a life of financial and personal freedom, you owe it to yourself and your family to tune into The Saving with Steve Show. Join me, Steve Sexton, on The Saving with Steve Show as we talk about everything under the sun when it comes to money. To learn more about the show, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us, savingwithsteve.us. We'll see you soon. Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving with Steve show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton. Hello, welcome back to the Saving with Steve show. That was Todd Palmer sharing the wisdom that he has. His book, From Suck to Success, A Guide to Extraordinary Entrepreneurship, and also find a job in six weeks or less. Wonderful five-star books on Amazon. You can obviously go take a look at those books if you're interested in talking with Todd. Next up, we're going to be talking about financial literacy for the kids. And on top of that, we have Tony Zork, author of Econoclasm. He'll be with us right after that. This is going to be outstanding. So let's talk about some financial literacy for kids. At some point in our adult lives, often especially when we first get started, many parents have had to learn harsh consequences about poor money management. In fact, I've done many talks in middle school and high school classes where parents are there and I start talking. I just say, hey, you know what? Could have fell behind when it came to rent payments or going over your head on credit cards. The reality is I see a lot of people, they look down, look to the left. They're like, oh my God, that's me. Don't worry about it. The key here is let's put your kids in a position so it doesn't happen to them. So we want to make sure your kids avoid the same pitfalls so we can start teaching financial literacy. Okay. In fact, research suggests that many of our financial habits are set by the age of seven. Good habits aren't formed early. It becomes harder and harder for you to point your kids in the right direction. So the question, how do we teach them, you know, the value of a dollar and some other financial lessons? Well, I'm going to walk through some of those steps for you, give you some resources you can go to, to help the ones that you love and care about. Now, first one is make them earn their allowance. Regardless of their age, one of the most important lessons you can instill in kids is the money is a finite resource. There's only so much, okay? You know, when they have to work for their money, as you likely do, they'll learn to use it more carefully. A lot of parents are in the habit of supplying their kids a weekly allowance. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it promotes good budgeting skills. Even better would we make them earn it by doing chores, drawing the mental connection between income and personal effort is something that'll pay huge dividends when they move out of your house. 
Okay. These days, you don't need to have a big pile of cash to pay them every time if they do a chore. You can get apps like Busy Kid. Okay. And when you get Busy Kid, you can assign a dollar amount to every chore. And that's how kids get money added to their allowance on a monthly or weekly basis. Next part, encourage your kids to get, you know, a part-time job, do something on the side. You know what? High school is a busy time for kids. You know, they got homework, extracurricular activities, girls and boys that they're chasing, sports. It takes up a substantial part of their week. If they can spare just a few hours a day, a few hours a week working for a coffee shop or retailer, they're probably better off for it. For one thing, they'll be less uh, less inclined to blow their cash on frivolous things when they have to put uh, they have to put some serious work behind the, uh, getting that money. You don't need to wait until they, you know. Quite frankly, you don't need to wait until they're older or employment age. You know, you can find your middle schooler, early high schooler. You can earn some extra bucks by mowing lawns walking dogs. You can use websites like Nextdoor or go to the homeowner association. It's an effective way to connect with local residents who might need some help. Okay, At the point where they start earning an actual paycheck, this is really important. You want to help, help them start saving. How do you do that? You can walk them into a bank and help them set up a savings account. You can help them set up an IRA or a Roth IRA. And you know what? You could do that with a little bit of their earnings. Also consider helping them out. Make it a little bit of a game. Hey, you put in five bucks, I'll put in five bucks. Okay? Create their own little money machine. That's another life lesson you can help them learn. And it's a good way to introduce the concept of time value of money. Okay? Next, have them contribute to purchases. You know what? Nearly every parent has been in that situation where they walked in the store with the toy store, the, 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 the clothing store, and have their child be, you know, inundate them with requests for toys, shoes, blouses, whatever. You know what? This shouldn't be a surprise. You know, younger kids, you know, they don't yet understand that there's only so much money to go around in the month. And there's only so much money allocated for discretionary expenses. The best way to get this point across, if it's not uh, Christmas or birthdays, is have them pay half for that Lego set, okay? You know, the kids will get a better sense of what things cost, which is important. They also learn the best way to save their allowance for bigger purchases. And it makes them prioritize just like you do, okay? Quite frankly, learning about finances doesn't need to be boring. Even board games can help kids learn about finances. Payday is among one of the best teaching games for kids, teaching them the value of money management skills. You know what? They're always the next paycheck away. Players have to make their own their money last. They can purchase items that will make them profit, even take out loans, but getting in, getting in over their head is a problem. Okay. Even Monopoly can yield pretty good lessons. Next, open bank accounts. You know what? The vulnerable piggy bank is a useful savings vehicle for younger children. But when they hit elementary school, consider opening up a kid's account on an actual bank. It's a good way to instill the importance of gradually building up the balance, okay? And give them an introduction to the banking industry. There's more modern approaches to get your preteens a kid-friendly debit card, such as the one at Greenlight or Go Henry. Kids can earn money through chores or allowance and then use the card to make purchases online or at stores. 
They'll soon realize just how quickly their account balance dwindles when they overdo it. Both produce, put an emphasis on transparency, giving the ability control where the kids use their card, sending notifications after each purchase. Okay. The next thing, this is a biggie. Get them started on stocks. One of the keys to long-term financial health is knowing how to invest wisely in stocks and bonds. If your kids can learn some of these tools well before they start their first full-time job, that is so much better. One way to do it is open a custodial account. It's called a UTMA, University Transfer Miners Account. Okay, you could do it at a brokerage firm. You could do it directly. There's nothing like a firsthand experience to teach them about the volatility of different investments and the need for long-term outlook. Eventually, the assets will fall under control when they reach the age of majority. Conveniently, apps such as Busy Kid, you know what, Greenlight, Go Henry, let children purchase shares of a country. Now, they're fractional shares, such as Disney, Netflix, right from the bank account, making it easy to become a participant in the stock market. Now, the cool thing about these apps is they have parents understanding of what's going on right here so they can watch their kids. Now, this is really more very important because you know what? If they're making mistakes on $10, $15, or $20, and they're beginning to make good decisions, they won't make big mistakes when it's $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 when they're older. Now, have an honest conversation about, your, uh, about money. Quite frankly, perhaps the most important thing you can do is boost your, boost your child's financial literacy is to be open and honest about your family's finances. Parents often worry that being too candid will only lead to worry, especially if they're going through job losses or other stressors. Reality is that somewhere down the line, your kids will face their own hardships. They'll be immeasurably, uh, immeasurably better equipped to handle them if they know how to respond. That doesn't mean you need to share your bank statement with them, but you might find it helpful to talk about the need to stick with your budget, cut back on certain non-essential items during lean times. You know what? Kids tend to be a lot more perceptive than parents realize. If they see you making prudent decisions, they're likely to imitate those behaviors later in life. Bottom line, good money habits don't form all out of thin air. They have to be learned. By starting when your kids are small, they'll be better equipped to manage their finances when they get older. Okay. And keep this in mind when there is a lot more at risk. I can't say it enough. The earlier you can start teaching your kids, even its grandparents teaching your kids everything about budgeting, money, the whole shot, they'll be better able and skilled to handle it. They'll be better able to deal with things later in life. They'll have a better life because they won't or have less financial stress. Now, again, this is brought to you by scoremaster.com. Did you know the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score, but no idea how to get them? The data scientist says Scoremaster cracked the code on how. Adding 97 points to your credit score is like found money. It means fast loan approval, huge discounts, low interest rates on everything from buying or refinancing a home to leasing a new car to applying for a credit card. How fast is Scoremaster? One member raises credit score 33 points in just five days. Another 43 points in just a couple of weeks. Scoremaster is so easy. It takes about a minute to get started. And if you hurry, you can get to try Scoremaster for free. That's right. Try Scoremaster for free and see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. 
Go to scoremaster.com slash savings. That's scoremaster.com slash savings. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash savings. Again, I want to thank Scoremaster for helping out all of our guests, all of our listeners, increase their credit score. Now, stick with us. We're going to be right back. And you know what? I'm going to introduce you to Tony Zork and how to thrive in that post-pandemic economy. Thank you. More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on the Saving with Steve show. Did you know the average American has 97 points they could add to their credit score, but no idea how to get them? The data scientist at Scoremaster cracked the code on how. Adding 97 points to your credit score is like found money. It means fast loan approvals, huge discounts, and low interest rates on everything from buying or refinancing a home, to leasing a new car, to applying for a credit card, how fast is Scoremaster? One member raised his credit score 33 points in just five days. Another 43 points in a couple of weeks. Scoremaster is so easy, it takes about a minute to get started. If you hurry, you can get to try Scoremaster for free. That's right, Scoremaster for free. And see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. Go to scoremaster.com slash savings. That's scoremaster.com slash savings. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash savings. Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving with Steve show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton. Welcome back to the show. This is Steve Sexton with Saving with Steve. And again, we're talking about the ins and outs of money. We just finished talking with Todd Palmer. What a great segment that was. We also talked about kids' financial literacy. And I want to thank scoremaster.com for helping people raise their credit score, one of our wonderful sponsors. And now I want to tell you about Tony Zork. Tony Zork is an Econoclast founder and CEO of an accounting seed, technology entrepreneur, Forbes book author, CPA for the last 20 years. He embodies econoclasm, the idea of challenging the prescribed way of doing things and coming up with a better, more innovative solution. Tony wrote this wonderful book called Iconoclasm, a survival guide in the post-pandemic economy. This is a book you're going to get. I believe it's a five-star book on Amazon currently. I saw it today. I actually ordered it because I wanted to have it. It really is a guideline for helping people deal with what they're about to deal moving forward. Tony, could you tell us what inspired you? to write the book. Yeah, Steve, thanks. And well, first off, having me on the show, appreciate it. So I, I've been a successful entrepreneur. Forbes Books approached me, asked me if I wanted to write a book about our business because it really fit kind of more of what they considered a disruptive technology. And I'm like, sure, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book, right? And then <laughs> I was like, okay, great. What is this book about, right? <laughs> and so you know, in the process of writing the book, I really um, kind of, or my inkling to write the book was, you know, um, dissatisfaction or kind of um, frustration and with, with with a lot of things. And and out came this book that I really um, realized that, you know, what, what I was really about writing this book. And I did write the book too, which is a, a lot of business owners don't write the book. I, you know, as being a first time author, I was, I was going to try to write it with a ghostwriter and that was a disaster. I actually wrote the book. I wrote it in about eight weeks. Oh, wow. What inspired the book and what I realized I've been doing um, for a long time was applying this formula, which I call 
an iconoclast formula, which is this challenge, design, execute formula. So an iconoclast is someone who challenges the existing way of doing things. They design a better way and they, they have the actual discipline to, to execute that plan. And I think I've been doing this since I, I was a teenager. And I think it's a very proven methodology. And w- the reason I wrote the book, Steve, is because in the pandemic, it really became apparent to me that, you know, there's a cost to putting messages out on the internet and TV and and television and, and and radio, all these different sources, and all all the cost uh, to recruit that cost. It's typically companies wanting to sell you a product. It's typically nonprofits wanting to uh, you to, to, to donate to their cause. It's typically politicians wanting you to vote a certain way. So all of the messaging out there is to get you to uh, convince you to do something that's best for those organizations. And there's basically no commercial value or no messaging out there for you to think for yourself because nobody really benefits for but you when you start thinking for yourself. And that's what why I wrote the book because I feel like there's just not enough content on this or not enough influences and not enough people you know doing that. And I think the pandemic also revealed this. Oh, I, I totally agree. If you really think about it, there's so many people who are following others' thought, and it just doesn't work for them. And and you can bring it back to the basic. Everybody's got that neighbor, that uncle, that guy at the bar who always tells you how to invest or how to do this or that. But you know what? They're the same guy that doesn't have any money uh, (laughs) or lost all their money or or, their house is falling down, even though they're telling you how to fix yours. You know, we all know somebody like that. And that's just that blind, let me let me follow this because it sounds good without really thinking it through for yourself. Exactly. And now, now with the internet, we can camp out. You know, we tend to subscribe to sources of authority and news that we agree with. We agree with that point of view. And then, then we can just sit in that camp the whole time um, and then just let that leader or that authority source just take us down, you know, and think for us It really delegate our thinking to that person uh, and just follow what, what they say. Whereas, you know, this is, I, I feel like everything that, you know, doesn't work well in our society and doesn't work well for a person, right? Is you need to be thinking for yourself. And rather than, you know, what I think happened with the pandemic is most people camped out in that, those familiar sources, they've insulated themselves from uh, outside media. So they're not looking at alternative point of view, their points of view. They're not really dissecting uh, the arguments from those different points of view and then making a decision for themselves based on those other inputs. Um, you know, I feel like that's just not what happened here. You know, no, I agree I, with I, that because if you listen to a lot of people, well, they're, they're, you know, how to put it, you see the people that come out and interview, Hey, tell me why this. And all they do is regurgitate what somebody else said. And then yeah. they ask them another question and they can't respond. And, yeah. and it's just because you go, okay, you're not thinking for yourself and you don't really know the reason why you're supporting this. And it just doesn't make sense. Uh, if you really get down to it. And it would make more sense if you actually thought through it and said, "Here, here's why it's important to me or this right. is why I'm doing this. So, well, yeah, exactly. And, and then just, you know, I think too, in, in line with, you know, a lot of the things you talk about, um, there's a risk reward uh, relationship to everything we do in life, certainly financially. And that seemed to just go out the window with, with this thing. Um, you know, I write about it a lot in my book in terms of, you know, I, I compare this pandemic to a natural disaster, much like a tornado or a hurricane. 
Um, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in Chicago in the Midwest and we had tornado drills all the time. And the tornado drill, uh, you know, when it was uh, sounded, you went into the hallway, you knelt down, you put your hands over your head and the teachers came by and and critiqued your technique saying you were doing that (laughs) well or not. So we were very well prepared. And then with, you know, when this thing happened, you know, we were clearly, clearly unprepared. Like that's, I don't think that's even controversial to say that. Um, So we all, we, I, I believe as a nation, we had a panic attack. And so instead of making our own decision, we, we looked at other countries, uh, what they were doing, followed suit there. And then, um, you know, without having kind of an adequate evaluation structure of this, you know, if we rated this pandemic on a one to five, there was, there was people that were clearly thinking this was a one or, or a two and people thinking this was a five. And if they go out, they're going to infect someone and they're going to kill somebody. And there was not any kind of consensus or, or like informed way for people to uh, make an educated decision on that because, you know, there's no official scale like that. So they took, you know, whatever sources they had. And that's why people, I think, reacted to this so differently. Um, whereas we would all agree you wouldn't walk out in a category five hurricane, right? You would get blown <laughs> away. Or it's also not a reason to move for a category one storm. You would hunker down and get through it. Yeah. No, okay. So, you know what, Tony, I, I want to get start, start, uh, start talking about, you know, what the pandemic, hey, created a lot of challenges for people. Okay. And, but also a lot of opportunities. What are some of the biggest opportunities in your opinion that's coming out of this pandemic? Well, I think from a personal level, I don't think we're, Steve, we're going to go back at all to, uh, for knowledge workers. I don't think we're going to be any, the, life's never going to be the same. Like we've been no, working at home for this long. Um, there's going to be huge opportunities to have just enhanced lifestyle from this. We're also going to scale our infrastructure. I think, you know, we, we figure out how to do that too. Um, and, you know, you know, do, do things that make sense, like not, you know, cut down on pollution and, and use of things. Right. And, uh, so there's there's huge opportunities there, as well as just the the overall change um, with and, and a lot of this is things that were socially you know not acceptable prior to this uh, are now right like the way we're using uh, technology specifically in the in the business world we we found that you know virtual technology like we're on now is is actually pretty good it's good enough for the virtual the business world while it's 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 horrible for personal relationships and we can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually works great for business. So mm-hmm. opportunities like my company, we've pivoted to being a virtual company. We've hired people all over the U.S. since this started uh, going, and we have no uh, plans to return to the office like we did. We're, the office, um, you know, really has three use cases: it's it's uh, onboarding new employees, it's uh, team projects, and meeting with outsiders. And the rest is going to be a huge personal choice for employees, uh, how often they want to come in and based on, you know, trust. And so trusted employees proven to work well uh, remotely um, are, are going to have fantastic options. And companies who are thinking like, you know what, we're going to ratchet down and return to where we were before, they are going to have severe turnover problems because uh, other companies will allow good workers to have this flexibility now. So. No, I agree with you. Actually, I've done that for my business. Once this started, uh, um, I had multiple locations and the leases came up. We don't have those multiple locations. Uh, all of our support and technical staff, they're actually in other places. Um, and I'm trying to decide, you know what, um, like you said, it's for clients who want to come into the office. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, I spent most of my days on the phone and I'm going to bet you have a nice shirt, but might be wearing shorts right now because we're on Zoom. <laughs> exactly. I got my sneakers on and, and you know, right here, um, I got my running shoes. So definitely saved on 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 leg wear as well. And, uh, um, oh, you know. okay. No, that's that's wonderful. I actually agree with that. I think people need to understand that um, the way business is going to be done, the way we're going to be interacting, not on a personal level, but on a business level, has changed forever. Um, so it you, has, know, yeah. you know what, Tony, stick with us. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to be right back. More expert advice for having a happier relationship with money still to come on the Saving with Steve show. Did you know the average American has 97 points they could add to their credit score, but no idea how to get them? The data scientist at ScoreMaster cracked the code on how. Adding 97 points to your credit score is like found money. It means fast loan approvals, huge discounts, and low interest rates on everything from buying or refinancing a home, to leasing a new car, to applying for a credit card, how fast is ScoreMaster? One member raised his credit score 33 points in just five days. Another 43 points in a couple of weeks. ScoreMaster is so easy, it takes about a minute to get started. If you hurry, you can get to try ScoreMaster for free. That's right, ScoreMaster for free. And see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. Go to scoremaster.com slash savings. That's scoremaster.com slash savings. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash savings. Welcome back to the show that is here to help you achieve your financial goals. It's the Saving with Steve show. Now here's your host, Steve Sexton. Welcome back. We've been talking with Tony Zork, the Econoclast. We've been discussing what's happening in this post-pandemic economy. One of the revelations that Tony said is, things have pretty much changed forever. People are going to have more people working in different areas, maybe not in the same town you're in, but in other locations. And that creates a different environment. You know, one of the questions I asked was, you know, what are the biggest opportunities in your opinion? What other opportunities do companies have? Do people have? I think some of the biggest opportunities are, of course, around virtual expansion of, you know, the workforce, knowledge workers, it's it's you now now we're hiring it, it, it rather than looking we're our, our company is based in Columbia, Maryland, where we would circulate jobs just in the area. Now we can look nationwide and find just the, the best fit. Uh, and also from a worker standpoint, too, I can go to work if I'm on, you know, I can really go to work for a company who uh, I really am passionate about their product, their mission, uh, and really believe in what they do. And I can go to work for them as easy as I can, uh, you know, the, the, the company local here. So there's just, it's hopefully going to have a much better matching of skills and desires and, and focus and purpose uh, than we ever had in the past. So I think, and that's going to result in better service for, for companies, uh, you know, than ever. I think, you know, there's a huge opportunity in savings and things like commercial real estate. Obviously, we're going to be, you know, you know, going from there. But even just, I, I would say in general, Steve, technology used in any creative way is going to be enormous. I had a guy, um, so I got an electric car, for example, uh-huh. And I had the, you know, this was, um, I ha- hired an electrician to uh, come and, you know, put in a level two charger in my house. And he called me, I missed his call. I called him back. We're trying to schedule a time for him to come over. And he's like, hey, uh, I noticed you're on an iPhone. Can we just FaceTime and I'll walk around and I'll just give you an estimate off of that? I'm like, yeah, let's do this. So we boom, launched him up, FaceTime. He's like, okay, walk downstairs, 
okay, show me the fuse box. Okay, walk uh, around this wall. Show me what's behind that wall. Okay, and then and walk upstairs in the garage. And this is where you want it. He's like, okay, great. Uh, 10 minutes later, I had a quote and we were done. I'm like, okay, why were we not doing this? How long has FaceTime been around 10 years? And why uh-huh. have we not done this in the past? This is wonderful. But these, uh, it's just whatever. It's the, it's the habit, right? And that's what mm-hmm. my book's about. It's about, my book is more about the thought patterns and breaking these habits. These, that was based on a paradigm that if I'm a service worker and I don't come out to the field, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose this business, right? Where I think all these paradigms have been shot down by the pandemic. And the biggest opportunity is the rethinking here that you can now introduce and streamline and optimize with technology it, virtually any process and, and pass on a savings to to the customer. So that's just, you know, it in, in a lot of this technology has been around for a while. And it's just, you know, for whatever, we're, we get into habits and we don't break those habits and we don't think to challenge them. And that's what the book, the book kind of walks through how to challenge uh, paradigms and have a systemic approach to this. And that's why I think it's powerful. Oh, I, I think it's it's wonderful you making that point because companies moving forward, employees need to know this as well because they might have to retrain themselves a little bit to function and perform in this new environment that is going to be created with the companies. Now, when it comes to some of those companies are, you know, considering going back to physical offices. Um, you know what, you've already talked to us about what you envision for the remote work, but what advice would you have for them? I, I would say my, my, I think where all this is going, Steve, is that you, um, you'll have choices of to come, you know, in physically to an office. Most people, I, this is my third time around working from home. And it's just like wonderful for 18 months. It's just like, you're like, this is the best thing. I'm wearing my pajamas. But then you get lonely and sick of it, right? So what I think is going to happen is that people will uh, come to offices, you know, on some kind of uh, standard interval. It'll be monthly uh, for some employees, quarterly. It depends how far you're away and how, what kind of effort we're talking here, right? Um, lo- you know, maybe regional employees, it'll be a weekly or monthly type of thing. But I, I think the bigger change here, Steve, is that you won't be, um, if you're a full-time work-at-home person, you you start to develop a different way of success and define a different way of success. So you're looking for fulfillment um, in your evenings and even like part of the, maybe during the day or in the morning where you're scheduling time and having interaction with other folks. Like I, you know, have a, uh, church group I attend. I have a fitness class I go to. I have friends down here that I'm connected socially on the internet around whatever, you know, whatever topic, basketball, cards, whatever. And I think this is where people are going to find fulfillment in relationships that they can control that are really outside of the workplace. And they're not going to really look for companies to fulfill that need. They're going to look at companies who are flexible that allow them to fulfill those needs and have provide a, a, a good, um, relationship of trust where they can, you know, have that flexibility, but, um, and, you know, again, they're tied into the mission and the purpose Mm -hmm. and all those things. So I just think it's going to be a very different world and what people are going to be looking for from employees, employers is really different than it was in the past. Now, you know what, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the book talks about the importance of taking financial risk and being okay with failure. Uh, Can you elaborate more on that? 
Yeah. I mean, all the, t- so it says an entrepreneur, Steve, I, I think in, in, in what like really came out with the pandemic was that for so many people, you know, there was just a complete absence of a risk reward thought pattern applied to the pandemic and just a complete uh, lockdown and fear. Right. So a risk reward is something as an entrepreneur, you learn financially um, because you're forced to. But it, the, the concept applies to all kinds of non-financial things like this pandemic and going out and, 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 and going on your way or, um, you know, it, it just even uh, trying to go deeper on a relationship or, or, or whatnot. So it's, it's, a, it's a powerful concept that should be considered in branching out and, and undergoing any risk. And um, it's something that we're not teaching folks, <laughs> you know, at all. And it's something that's kind of hard to learn. If you're not, if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, it's easy because you deal with this every day. But, you know, if you're, if you're in a business as an employee, it, it, it's something and you're out of, you're not used to applying that concept. It's something that can be really scary. And something you're out of touch with or out of practice with or haven't done in a long term. But risk reward comes in, you know, everything from, you know, going to college and, uh, you know, what classes you choose or um, what path you take on the highway to get somewhere. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, applications of it that uh, people should always be considering. And the book, you know, the, the execute. So in the kind of class formula, the challenge design execute formula that executes the biggest thing. And that's where risk reward, the rubber meets the road, Mm -hmm. right? Because I call it, it's time for the showdown. Like in the old West movies, when they come down with the guns, right? Like lots of people can challenge the existing way of doing things. And a lot of people can even think of like, I know a great way to do that. That's way better. But then it comes down to actually doing it, right? And and then when you actually come say, I'm going to go do this, then you start revisiting that design plan multiple times because it, it gets scary to go do these. But doing it defines the iconoclast from other things like um, an, even an entrepreneur or even a philanthropist or an inventor or a thought leader, all these different things. Um, that that that's different. It's these three things that make the challenge design execute. The execute makes the iconoclast and risk reward has to be taken into account in that execute step with pretty much any anything that you're doing. That's wonderful. Hey, Tony, I want to thank you for joining the show today. The information you provided is valuable for everybody's listening, especially people who are running a business or just trying to be in a business in this post pandemic environment. It teaches people, hey, you really need to think because if you do, you can make a lot more money. And like, you know, our show is all about the ins and outs of money. So I want to thank you for being part of this. How, how can people get your book? Yeah, if you go to TonyZork.com or you uh, you can search IconoclastBook.com, it'll take you right there. And the book's available on my site. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easy, to, easy to buy right on Amazon or Books A Million or uh, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, it already has a five-star rating on Amazon. It's wonderful. Hey, look, thanks again. Be safe, be healthy, and look to have you back soon. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. All righty. Bye-bye. That was Tony Zork, Conoclasm's the book. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to his website. You know what? It was brought to you by scoremaster.com. Did you know the average American has 97 points that they could add to their credit score, but have no idea how? The data scientist at Scoremaster cracked the code on how. Adding 97 points to your credit score is like found money. It means fast loan approvals, huge discounts, and low interest rates on everything from buying or refinancing a home to leasing a new car to applying for a credit card. How fast is Scoremaster? 
a one-member racer credit score and 33 points in just five days. Another 43 points in a couple of weeks. Score maps are so easy, it takes about a minute to get started. And if you hurry, you can get to try ScoreMaster for free. That's right, try ScoreMaster for free and see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. Go to scoremaster.com slash savings. That's scoremaster.com slash savings. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash savings. Hey, I want to thank you all for joining this week. We had wonderful guests and Tony Palmer and Tony Zork talking about wonderful topics about the pandemic. And again, I want to thank scoremaster.com for helping everybody in the world raise their credit score. Look forward to seeing you next week. Stay healthy, stay safe. Thank you for joining us for the Saving with Steve show hosted by Steve Sexton. To learn more about the show and how to become a guest or sponsor, visit savingwithsteve.us. That's savingwithsteve.us. Join us again next time as we continue to talk about everything under the sun that relates to you having a healthier, happier relationship with money. This has been the Saving with Steve show, hosted by Steve Sexton.